Thank you for listening to the Identity House Ministries podcast. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity. Sweet. Well, super stoked to finally get to teaching this letter, the last letter of seven. Um, first off, I just want to say, like, I, I want us to continue to be, like, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Because honestly, like, so much of what's already happened was stuff that I was thinking about for the night. Like, um, the whole, like, needing God, that we're going to talk a ton about that. But that was, like, spot on. And then people started repenting. And, like, that is so good. And I, like, I just want us to all notice the fact that, like, you could feel, like, the power of the Holy Spirit in the room when we start singing that last song. Yeah. Like, you could feel it. And, like, how fast that happened once we, like, repented and, like, went God's way. Yeah. So that's a big deal. And I, like, just practically, like, want us to all recognize that and let that be, like, that was a miracle. That was amazing. That was beautiful. And, like, I want to continue in that. I don't want to stop. Um, So, anyway, um, let me pray really quick, and then we'll get into the letter to the church of Laodicea. Um, So, Dad, we just thank you so much. Thank you for the unity of the Spirit, how easily things flow, how easily it is for your Holy Spirit to move and change hearts and uh, draw us closer to you, God, when we're all one together. Um, and I just thank you for bringing this church together, even despite all the stuff that's been going on. And, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, it's going to take some time to get used to going back to church because everybody's coming back from Rona. And I just I want to declare that that's a lie and that, you know, we're, we're going to come back. There's no steps back in the kingdom and we're going to pick right back up where we left off and we're going to be running. And um, just thank you for this, this uh, passage of scripture, the letter to the church of Laodicea. I just pray for each person here that uh, all of us, our eyes would be open, our ears would be open to hear and see what the Spirit is trying to tell us through this letter to the church. And that we would be honest and open with ourselves about where we are um, so that we can really see God move in our lives. So we just thank you, Father. We love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the way this is going to go, Monica is going to be like the hype man. Uh, I'm going to go through most of it. She felt more led to just kind of like chime in on a lot of this. She's listened to these like teachings a bunch, but this is what she wants to do. And that's totally fine. So I'll be kind of leading it. And if she interjects, she's not interrupting. It's awesome. Um, So let's go to Revelations chapter three, Revelation. Sorry, I broke my own rule already. (laughs) Not starting off good. Let me get my Revelations chapter three. I said it again. Verse 14 through 22, and I need somebody who's got a splendiferous voice, not named Micah, because he got to do it last week. It's nothing against Micah. Chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 14 through 22. You got it? All right, go ahead. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans, right, these things says that the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. 
because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be the revealed, and anoint your eyes with with eyes out, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We haven't been able to meet in person, and that's kind of sucked. And I really feel like these teachings have been like... They're loving me Starbucks. This is bad. Now I feel like my grade school teacher. Does anyone want one that didn't get one? Walsh right. yeah. got a whole towel. You better take the rubber sheet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you. <laughs> All right. On that note, I highly encourage you. Please, please, please. I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart because I know this will bless you. Go back and listen to these teachings. Go back and check them out. Because I know somebody's missed one. And this isn't me tattletailing. I've missed one. I think I missed... Uh, I can't remember. I think it was Matt's on Thyatira. I gotta go back and listen to it. But like, these are seriously really good passages of scripture. And like, what we're gonna learn today is this stuff is serious. And like, this is not a game anymore. And especially each of the letters says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Yeah. So it's like, it's so important for you to take that upon yourself. Yeah. So that you can be blessed. Right. And have the promise. No one can do it for you. Like, so don't take, I'm going to be straightforward tonight. And I don't take it as me being harsh. Look at me as like a good coach. I'm trying to push you to get the best out of you because that's what the Lord would do. Yeah. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about Laodicea. Um, we've gone over a bunch of elements of the letters. So first thing we'll talk about in, in review that we've gone over with each of the six letters is that there are four levels of application for each of these letters to each church. There's number one, a local application. Each church was a real church in history that the the stuff in the letter was directly for them at that time that they needed to hear. That's a fact. Um, The second part is that it's admonitory to all churches, which means that if someone was in Laodicea but they read the letter to the Church of Pergamos, it was applicable to them too. But it's also applicable to all of us today as well. It's applicable to all the church. You know, the Bible says, he who has an ear, seven times. Everybody got their ears? You got an ear. So now you're responsible. <laughs> I love how Jesus sneaks that in there. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Who's got ears? And everyone's like, oh, I got ears. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, there is also the homiletic um, application, which just means personal. There's personal application. This is written to the churches. Each letter is written to each church. But it's also personal for you in your life. So you can take something from it that and say like, oh man, I'm, I left my first love, like the church of Ephesus. I need to stop worrying so much about doctrine and get back to my first love. Mm-hmm. You see how that works? Um, there's a fourth one, which is kind of... Fringe. It's not super fringe, but um, there is some debate on whether this is like actually true. But there's a prophetic application. 
um, the theory is that uh, each of the seven letters to the seven churches lay out the history of the church in advance for the last 2,000 years. So that would mean that the church of Ephesus was a certain period of time, and it was like this church that left their first love. And then that transitioned into the church of Smyrna, who was the persecuted church. And I'm just going to go through this list. Smyrna, the persecuted church refers to the, uh, like the church that was just being slaughtered in the early centuries. Um, church of Pergamos was the married church. They were married with the world. The, the church got big because of Constantine bringing in Roman religion and mixing it with the church. Not good. Um, Thyatira was the medieval church, and the church this church tolerated that woman Jezebel. You read all about it in the letter. Um, no, no, not good. <laughs> um, the church of Sardis was the denominational church. Um, they have a name only, and they are dead, and that's what Jesus says directly. It's a big deal. Um, go back and read it. Philadelphia, the missionary church, and then we have Laodicea tonight, which is you'll find out. <laughs> um, I mean, just take a look here. I've got so many notes, guys. I've got like 18 pages of notes. So some of this I'm going to read through and just skip. Yeah, so the next part that we've been using is that there's seven elements to each of the letters. So you can break down each letter into seven parts, kind of like if you went to school growing up and they told you how to write a letter. They tell you the salutation and the body of the letter, or the introduction, then the body, and then the conclusion, and then the so long. That, that's, we're kind of looking at the... <laughs> like, so long. Yeah, I forgot what it's called. The so long. Yeah. The, the opposite of salutation. Excellent. Yeah. Um, the seven elements. So there's seven elements to each of the letters, and you'll find this theme go through each of the letters. Um, the first one is that the meaning of the name of the church uh, being addressed. So the, the church being addressed is labeled there. Um, Number two is the title of Jesus, each chosen relevant to the message to that particular church. Jesus tells the name of himself to that church in that letter that's specific to them. Um, Jesus gives a commendation of things that have been done well by the churches. So he gives them a good attaboy, pat on the back, good way to like <laughs> soften the blow when you hit them with the tough stuff. Um, the next one, number four, is that there's criticism of things that need attention, that, that the church needs to change or else something bad will happen. Um, number five is the exhortation specific to the condition of the church. This is what you're supposed to do. Um, number six is the promise to the overcomer. There's a promise to each person who overcomes the specific thing that Jesus is pointing out here. That's awesome. They, like We talk about God's promises all the time, and they're yes and amen, but let's... Like, we should claim these because these are more relevant, like, more recent <laughs> in a way. Um, and then number seven is the key phrase, he that hath an ear, let him hear. hear. Wow. Yeah. All right. So getting that out of the way, um, we're going to talk about Laodicea. Laodicea. What is Laodicea? Laodicea was a city that was south of the city of Philadelphia, which we learned about two weeks ago from Savannah. South of Philadelphia by about 40 miles. This is going to feel a little bit like a history lesson, but please, trust me, listen, there's a lot of good stuff in this. In 250 BC, it was taken by the Syrians, and a guy named Antiochus II rebuilt the town and renamed it after his wife, Laodice. So this is when the city came about. Um, according to Josephus, there's a large Jewish community there, which is pretty relevant to, the, like most of the churches, there's a large Jewish and Christian community where these churches are. Big thing with Laodicea was it is a rich and prosperous city. Um, if you look at it on a map, there's a city called Hierapolis that's about six miles 
to the north of it. And then there's the city of Colossae, which is Colossians, that Paul writes the letter to Colossians. That city's like right underneath of Laodicea. And an interesting thing about them is there's a water aqueduct that flows from them. And Hierapolis is where it starts. In Hierapolis, they were well known for their famous hot springs. So they had these, like, everybody's heard of hot springs. It's boiling hot water that comes out of the ground, and it had these, like, healing properties and all this stuff. It was awesome. And they were like, sweet, we're going to make an aqueduct so we can send this water down and provide it to other people, too. So Laodicea gets it right in the middle, and then Colossians gets it at the end. Colossae gets it when it get when the water gets to Colossae, it's like freezing cold. In Hierapolis, it's like burning hot. But when it gets to Laodicea, lukewarm. right in the middle, it's mm-hmm. lukewarm. You got it. So keep in mind, Jesus walked in the first chapter of Revelation. It talks about Jesus walking in the midst of the lampstands. So he walked in the midst of all these churches. He knew what was going on. So when he tells them things in the letter, it's very applicable to them. And it's something that when they hear it, they go, oh, shoot, I know how that is. (laughs) The thing about lukewarm water is the fact that lukewarm water acts like an emetic, meaning it makes you vomit. It makes you sick. You can drink hot water. In this area, I'm talking about the specific area. You can drink the hot water because it's good for coffee or tea or you know any kind of other like healing drink. You can drink it cold because it's refreshing, it's nice. But when it's lukewarm there, it's disgusting and it makes you just want to barf, makes you want to vomit. So <clears throat> very interesting to keep in mind. Um, back to the fact that this is a super rich city. Um, it's full of merchants, bankers, and gold refiners. It was located at a junction of roads uh, in between Ephesus and Smyrna. So that means there was a bunch of wealth that flowed through the city. Um, They had caravan trade as far east as the Punjab River in China. (laughs) Like, they had super wide travel, like, trade routes. Um, So this is a wealthy city. Um, Another thing they they had that was, like, super big was they, they were big in the textile manufacturing. They produced a lot of clothes, and one of the biggest items that they had was this black wool that they got from this rare breed of sheep. It was like a glass, glossy black wool that people loved, and people would pay whatever for. This was a huge hit in mm-hmm. the city. So It was like a symbol of their wealth. It was a symbol of their wealth. They were wearing like black cloaks. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the Burlington Coat Factory, the big trench coats. Jesus, from my public. Yeah, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another thing is just like most of the other cities, uh, this city worshipped uh, the god Aesculapius, the medical god and medicine, god of medicine. And um, what was I going to say? Oh, they had this huge hospital there. Huge. Like super well-known. Oh, uh, yeah. A medical school where people like all around the world came there. And they had this um, ophthalmic ointment, which was like an ointment for your ears, and then they had one for your eyes as well. And the one for your ears was well known as being called Phrygian powder. But I don't know if you guys have heard of Plato. Not the toy, but (laughs) the guy Plato. Plato actually (laughs) refers to Phrygian powder in one of his books. Pretty interesting that that's like it was a big deal, apparently. But this ointment would, like, go in and clean your ears and help you to, like, hear. Or the eye salve would, like, clear your eyes of any, like, you know, 
foreign substances. I don't know what foreign substances are on that, but... Well, I think it was, like, visual impairment. Yeah. People would, like, get their sight back. Right. Know, like, glaucoma and stuff. Yep. But even, like, doctors now look back at this time when they created this salve and are like, that was revolutionary. They think it's, like, one of the most important things in ophthalmology at the time. Yeah. It's a huge deal. So the city has, like, a ton of stuff going for it. Um, one other thing that's a big deal... Um, that really applies to the church is the fact that in the year 62 AD, there was an earthquake in the city that left the city like desolate, like it destroyed the city. And um, most of the time when that happens, like if that happened to say like North Carolina or like, let's say somewhere here, like uh, Richmond city, if Richmond got hit by a earthquake, the city would pay for it. The state of Virginia would come in and start fixing it up and pay for the, the damages and stuff like that. Well, this city, uh, Laodicea, was full of wow. Hey, so here you go. This city was full of uh, wealthy citizens, super wealthy, and they basically said, "We got this," and they fixed it themselves. They said they don't want help. They don't want the government in this. We're gonna fix it ourselves. Really interesting to see. You know, if, if the government's offering you to fix your city, most of the time you take it. But they were like. We are not letting you touch it. We're going to fix it. Extremely self-sufficient. Extremely self-sufficient. That's a big, big point. So I give all these points to you because it's setting, this is setting stuff up for what's in the letter. And you'll see that it's like directly related. And you're like, holy crap, how is Jesus so accurate? Well, he's walking there. Um, a little bit of the church history, just, you know, for fun. Um, <clears throat> Colossians, the book of Colossians. Um, actually has a couple mentions of the Church of Laodicea. Um, it was possibly founded by this guy named Epaphras. Um, there was a lost letter of Paul in Colossians. He talks about um, there's a letter that he wrote to the Colossians, and he tells them, also, you need to get a hold of that letter from Laodicea, and you need to read that one too, and let them read your letter. So there's this idea of letters being circular, like you know that it could go to, each church and be applicable, kind of like we're learning now. All these letters are applicable to all of us. Yeah. There isn't uh, really record of a letter to Laodicea, but there is skepticism and thought that the letter to the Church of Ephesians by Paul was the letter to Laodicea because they're circular letters, and um, there's something in the translation and a couple different points that leads people and scholars to believe. That could be it, but we don't know. We'll just let it be. It's just fun to know. Um, oh, this is interesting. There's a tradition that this guy named Archippus had become the bishop of Laodicea. Um, and so 30 years earlier than that, Paul had warned Archippus, uh, who was thought to be the son of Philemon, to be more diligent in fulfilling his ministry. And that's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, and Colossians 4, 16-17. Um, it's interesting just to note because this could have uh, fed into the church's status at this current day. You know, Paul issues a warning to this guy Archippus, and whether he did it or not, it doesn't sound like he really like took hold of what he was supposed to do because the church is running amok. Um, last little background piece is Laodicea. What does that mean? Well, Leo comes from the Greek word la laity or something like that, which means people. And Sia comes from a Greek word that means to rule. So the whole word name, Laodicea, means ruled by the people. Mm -hmm. So you get an idea of what this city's about. 
really interesting thing that I was, I'll, I'll probably go into right here. Uh, yeah, I'll just do it now. How about that? Um, we're going to go through each verse one by one and start digging out some of this stuff now that we've got this history and background with it. Um, so verse 14, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, I just want to stop right there. Every letter up to this point has said to the letter or and to the angel of the church in Ephesians or Ephesus, in Smyrna, in Thyatira. This part right here says to the church of the Laodiceans. Interesting. Maybe I don't know what that means. But I kind of have an idea that these people were. Um, well, these people ruled themselves. It says it in the name, like we rule ourselves, and they don't. They don't want to be ruled by God. So yeah, they're anarchists. Um, so anyway, um, these things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So that's our first. Uh, Part of the letter is the names of Jesus. Like he is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Interesting, he uses three different names for himself here. Um, he's going back to the like basics and the foundations of his character. Um, so the Amen means true or verily. Like it, it is a statement of fact. Um, I heard a couple different pastors talk about and go kind of on a rant about how a lot of times in churches. People will say, amen, is like a question. Amen? Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They'll preach something, and to get your attention, they'll go, amen? Or it's like this like mnemonic device to get you to like, you know, stay engaged and stuff like that. It's really not good. It's not a good habit. It's something that I think people have picked up. And I think they're like, they don't think of it this way, but they should, is that this word amen is like, that is Definite. That is a state of fact. It is like for sure going to happen. You're saying that whatever was just said, definitely going to happen. And I'm siding with it 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so next time we say amen, <laughs> I would just be a little careful. I won't be offended if you don't amen. <laughs> um, at me. The faithful and true witness. Basically, Jesus is kind of, Jesus kind of subtweets sometimes where he, you know. It's kind of petty. Uh, this title is totally contradictory, contradictory to who the Church of Laodicea was because they were not true and they were not faithful. So he's coming to them saying, I am the true and faithful witness. Big deal. A um, bunch of verses where that phrase is used. Um, I, I can give them to you if you want afterwards. They're just I'm not going to read them all off. Um, and then the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, interesting phrase. He says the beginning of the creation of God. A lot of people would think, oh, well, like, that means that Jesus was the first one to be created. No, that's not true. Basically, what that's saying, the word beginning means, like, first, but not in, like, a sequence, like, one, two, three, four. It's first as in, like, order or rank. So, like, he's basically in importance. So he's basically saying, like, the first of the creation of God. I am... I am it, <laughs> you know? So like, that's, it's just a big deal. He's bringing it back to the basics for these people because apparently they need it. Verse 15 says, uh, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Notice there's no commendations. He just gets right into the yeah. nitty gritty. <laughs> Nothing, <good to> <laughs> Nothing good to say. They probably read everybody else's letter and went, 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say nothing nice about me. <laughs> I know a guy in Smyrna, and he's not that great. <laughs> you know, but I mean, he Jesus goes straight into it. Um, he draws that idiom to relate to the culture in this area. You know, basically, we, we went back to the aqueduct and talked about the water temperature. They would know exactly what that meant, hot or cold. Mm. Um, uh, let's see. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So, basically, Jesus is saying, like, you're not doing what I want you to do. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. There's a couple of different ideas of, like, the hot and cold thing. I think a lot of people have seen that verse, and they automatically think, like, hot is good, cold is bad. And, or, and lukewarm is way worse, but, you know, cold's bad, but not too bad. You know what I mean? I've heard the thing where it's like people think the lukewarm is like riding the fence. Like, right. I either yeah. want you to be good or just go all the way bad. Right. Don't ride the fence. That's exactly. He's basically. My like parallel with that would always be like the USBS, your WNO. Yeah. If you're like a hard maybe, that's stupid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you look right now, I don't know, just riding around the lake uh-huh. and in the shallows where the water's lukewarm, yeah. there's all this funky. Yeah. Jump that's growing right now. If it was super hot, it would be dying. And if it was super cold, it would be dead. Right. So you talk about the, you know, mm-hmm. it being distasteful or whatever. Yeah, and it's nasty. stagnant. Yeah. So yeah. Monica talked to, to me about, um, like, Todd White one time used a like idea and a phrase of, like, you know, God standing on one side, and then there's the fence, and then there's, like, the devil on the other side. Or, like, the world. Or the so world. it doesn't even look like that. Yeah. Like, not that evil. Right. And so, like, there's people that say, oh, well, you know what, I, I can't decide. I'm just going to sit on the fence. I'm Switzerland or whatever. And he's basically like, no, look, like, you've chosen. You've chosen the world. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, you've chosen the world. The fence is the world. The fence is the world, too. Yeah. The, the world owns the fence. Yeah. God, don't put a fence. You put the fence. <laughs> yeah. So there was, I think it was Mike Bickle that was talking about how, like, um, if you're hot, you're like passionate, you're on fire for the Lord, you're living extreme. If you're cold, you have a greater chance of hitting rock bottom and knowing your need. Mm-hmm. And the lukewarm is just like, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing good, kind of coasting. But he says that I'd rather you be cold so that you have a greater chance mm-hmm. of coming to the heat, right. basically. Right. Yeah, that's like perfect. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of different theories on the idea. Basically, lukewarm is. One thing about it is being lukewarm is just an insult to God. Right. He does not deserve to be lukewarm about. He does not deserve us to be like, okay, God, I'll go to church, but only if I can like leave 15 minutes early so I can get to you know, barbecue pit on time. Yeah. <laughs> or for like us, I just, oh, man, I really want to go to cookout. Oh, can this dude just finish up with his teaching? <laughs> can we teach him? Well, if you think about it, like, you would never want to be lukewarm about your spouse. Right. Like, mm-hmm. we're the bride of Christ. And right. so, yeah, yeah. it would be the greatest insult for me to be like, I'm just kind of ambivalent. Yeah. He's okay, I guess. Yeah. That's it's so that. disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tristan's not lukewarm about his wife. Oh, uh-huh. no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, then that's, that's, that is a great picture of, like, lukewarmness. Like, how does how does it make God feel? He's yeah. done. He's gone through all of this. He's gone through like 
years, thousands, millions of years with you in mind. Yeah. And we're going to walk around and we, the worst part is a lot of us even know the knowledge of like what it means to be a Christian and what the gospel is. I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. I know that he died for my sins, but my life doesn't reflect that. That's lukewarmness. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, it's a big deal. Like God wants you to be hot. He wants you to be zealous um, or enthusiastic. The word enthusiasm comes from the Greek in, is in, and thus is from the word theo, which means God. So enthusiasm just means you're in God. And if you're not enthusiastic, if you're not excited, you're not in God, you know? So, like, this is just a really big point that Jesus draws here is that, you know, he wants you to be hot. It is offensive to be lukewarm. And he'd rather you be cold because if you're cold, there's a way greater chance that you'll realize like your need for him. Mm-hmm. Can I also share something Go ahead. real quick? Yeah. So there's there's also another idea that I've heard about this, which is kind of cool. The idea we always think of in this passage that the idea of being cold is also bad. Right. But there's the idea that like like you were talking about the aqueduct, like Hierapolis, they get the hot uh, water that has like healing properties. But on the other end of the aqueduct, Colossae gets the cold water that's like refreshing. Yeah. So Jesus is like, I would rather you be healing and restorative to people, or I'd rather you be refreshing yeah. and invigorating right. for people. Right. Yeah. So there's like the different ideas. That is, them. yeah. That's totally a, a big point. I read something that I'll bring up later that kind of leads me to believe the first one. Yeah. So, but I like that is a total like. Either way, you can yeah, take it all the way. They're both they're awesome. They're both, both good if you yeah. practice it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the point. Who can write that kind of way? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, and drawing a comparison, if we're going back to cold being like bad or like what we consider bad, look at like the harlots and the tax collectors of Jesus' time when he was walking in. Mm-hmm. Like they, that made up most of his ministry, and it was the religious people who, you know, they were. Totally shut off from yeah. Yeah. That's a picture of lukewarm and the harlot and the you know all those other people were just cold. What are you gonna say? I just got a quick question. Um, uh, are you gonna get like um uh, like examples of characteristics of people who are lukewarm, like like attitude and stuff like that, or are you just gonna? Well, uh, I mean, I can give some examples, um, but I th- I think to me the a good definition of lukewarm would be someone who talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. If I can, that's like my easiest like street definition is, go ahead. No, I'm so, I'm so sorry. You're, no, you're totally good. Yeah, guys. Honestly, the, the, the only reason I ask is because I've been learning just to make things like classical yeah. and music and stuff like that. Because, man, I'm trying to get out of a legalistic mindset and yeah. stuff like that. Um, uh, and so, I guess, I was just, I was just Yeah. Yeah. We can talk more about it at the end because I'm sure I can think of them, but I'm kind of nervous and pictured yeah. everybody in their underpants. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, was say, I think my fickle said something else I thought was kind of funny. It's like, you know too much about God to sin and to enjoy it, but you also know too much about sin to like actually fully live a life for God. Something where you're like kind of not choosing one or the other. Yeah. You're like, I'm too convicted to actually be crazy and wild, but this is really comfortable, so I'm not going to go full-fledged yeah. for the Lord. I read like the, almost a... Not the same quote, but very similar. And it says, like, the lukewarm Christian is just miserable because they have too much of Jesus 
to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy in Jesus. So that's like a really practical way yeah. to. Um, all right, where are we? Let's just take a look. So lukewarm, just overall is playing, trying to play both sides. Be people pleaser. I'm trying to please the world as well as Jesus. Spoiler alert, don't work. Verse 16, let's move forward. Uh, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We said that. Um, <clears throat> because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Um, <clears throat> this is an interesting um, interesting verse because these people are basically saying, we talked about it, they, they were so wealthy they didn't need the government to come fix yeah. their city. So they're saying, in their minds, I am rich, I've become wealthy, and I need nothing. I don't need nobody else. Another thing that we've learned throughout these letters is that anytime somebody was wealthy, they're also healthy. You know, you can't be wealthy if you don't have your health, and vice versa. You can't be wealthy if you, or you can't be healthy if you don't are wealthy, because it was expensive. Right. So um, that's just a um, an interesting thing, and I think um, I, I hate to rag on this. Because I come from this movement, but I do call it out. Because I, I grew up in the prosperity gospel. I grew up listening to a lot of those pastors, and like I, I was stand by a lot of things, one hundred percent. Like some of the foundations they teach, man, they're solid. They're like so good. But once it gets into stuff like about money and all that stuff, a lot of them say like, "I have need of nothing." That sounds just like this. Yeah. I'm rich. Yeah. I've become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. And to them, their the status in life, their physical status, how much money I've got, how comfortable I'm living, how healthy I am, that is to them an indicator of how spiritual they are. Yeah. 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 Sometimes that is, but not all the time. Yeah. Not all the time. Because I know plenty of people who have no money, who work their butt off, who are sick and love the Lord. And are way happier. So that opens up a can of worms. If you got issues, let's talk about it later. Or just talk to Jesus. <laughs> um, so basically, he says, you say I'm rich, become wealthy, and have need of nothing. But Jesus says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Lord, Jesus. If there's heaven, I don't know if I want to go anymore. <laughs> After you call me all that, whoa. Um... Man, but seriously, like Jesus is just straightforward. This is the Jesus we need to come to know is that like Jesus is full of grace, full of love, full of mercy, but he's also full of justice, full of judgment. Like he will call you out and he does not stand for sin. He doesn't exaggerate. And he does not exaggerate. He doesn't play games. Don't play games. But he also, like, even on those, like, the description of what he's saying hits home so much for them. Because they right. thought they were rich. They had this, like, eye salve that yep. was, like, amazing. But he's like, you're blind. And you're then they blind. have their little cloaks that they're wearing. And you're he's naked. Like, you're naked. Right. Yeah. That's, like, a huge point. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is that the city, because it's so wealthy, there's a, uh, a huge divide between the wealthy and the poor. Of course. Yeah. So there's a lot of poor in the area. And so, basically, Jesus is saying, you're just like them. Mm-hmm. Just spiritually. Yeah. Verse 18, he says, I counsel to you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. 
no doubt that Jesus knew everything that was going on in this city and this church. Mm. It says, buy gold from me. You know, stop looking for money and other things. You're white. I'm going to give you white garments instead of that ugly black thing. <laughs> and my white garments are so much better. Uh, anoint your eyes with my eye salve because my eye salve will open your eyes to spiritual things. You know, so it's like this like difference in trying to bring them to the realization of the spiritual world and that the real world to them was not really real at all. That what really mattered what was what was in the spiritual. Um, uh, this is a very wonderful picture of Christ himself yeah. when he was on the earth he spoke to people with stories and and inf- in- inferences right. or whatever you want to call them right, right. about what they lived right. Okay, mm-hmm. you talk to the tax collectors about money you mm-hmm. talk to the the shepherd about the sheep and right. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And here it is. He has gone into his heavenly realm and poured this in John right. to then speak as Christ. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what he's doing there. And that's what you brought up earlier about yeah. their, their background. That's like spot on. And that reminds me of something I didn't even put in my notes that I was thinking about. It's like one of the names he uses for himself is he's the beginning of all creation. Mm-hmm. And John talks about nothing was created by him. Or not... I can't remember how to say it. Everything was created by him through Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was there in creation. And so like Jesus designed trees so that when he came to earth, he could have wood to be a carpenter. You know, he designed all these things. So don't like the stuff they're dealing with. He's got it, baby. He's got it. And more. Yeah. Um, that's super good. Praise the Lord. Um, all right. Moving on to verse 19. This is like a nice shift, <laughs> kind of from the fire they've been getting, <laughs> breathing down their neck. Uh, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. So he's saying, look, I only do this because I love you. Mm-hmm. And you see that example throughout the scripture. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's just a word for all of us. It's like, sometimes love looks like calling people out. Amen. And don't let people tell you that you're not being loving because you're calling them out. Because most of the time, they're just scared or like feeling bad. Now, I'm not saying you just want to go down the street and call everybody out and say, you're a bigot and you're a bigot. And, you know, no. You have to do this with the Holy Spirit. Like, we can go a whole thing into this. Um, but love rebukes and chastens. Um, but also, like, having an intimate relationship with the Father where He does that to you personally. Right. Sometimes it'll come through your friends and the people that are close to you, but it will definitely come from the Lord. Yes. Yeah. That's like a 100%. Um, so, um, He says to be zealous and repent. So, this is that thing I was telling you earlier. The word zealous there is super interesting. I'm like glad I read this at the last minute because I just learned this before we got here. The word zeal in the original language, I don't know what the actual word is, but what it means is to burn hot with zeal mm-hmm. or to boil over with anger and hatred uh, in a good sense against evil things mm-hmm. so that you can walk towards good things and to be envious. Kind of a weird word. <laughs> Jesus is telling you to be hateful and mad and angry and envious. Why? Because... He wants you to step up to what you're supposed to be. He wants you to be angry at sin. He wants you to get angry at the the cycles you've been stuck in. 
He wants you to get mad when you know there's things going on in the world that are completely contradictory to him. But what have so many of us done? Quiet. Whatever. That's just the way I am. Yeah, that's just the way it is. It's way too big. Abortion is way too big an issue for anything to change. No. No. Like, if that doesn't burn your freaking biscuits, then you need to learn who Jesus is. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Southern and I love Cracker Barrel. I'm, but seriously, like, on a serious note, if, that, if, if abortion doesn't break your heart, number one, that, one, people would have to go through that. That that would feel like their only choice. Two, for the child. Like, for all the people involved. That there are people willingly doing this stuff. That doesn't break your heart and show you that this world needs more. That this world does not need your passive life of just going to church weekly. And like... Every time you sit down and read your Bible, it's not just for you, but it's for who you might encounter that day. Like, you've got to understand, you've got the answer. A lot of people don't have the answer. And like, here I go, coach mode. I've been watching the Michael Jordan documentary. I'm all about it. (laughs) Like, seriously, it's time to get up off the bench. We need to quit being a bunch of weenies. And I'm t- calling myself out. I seriously am. I, like, I don't want this to just be browbeat, browbeat. I'm in the same boat. Because there are so many times when I don't follow up on what I say I'm going to do. I fall just as much as anybody else. But I won't let my failures keep me from walking in the fullness of what God promises. I will not let my failures keep make me afraid to walk in who God calls me to be. Because one day... This is a helpful thing that God's been speaking to me um, about the fear of the Lord. I feel like one of the biggest issues in the church in general in America today and most not I'd say just for America. The biggest problem for the church in America is our lack of fear of the Lord. Mm. How many times we give prophecies that are Mm. prophetic out of feeling. Mm. How many times we do things just because it's expected of us yeah. with no heart. Yeah. Shame on us in that mm-hmm. case. Sorry if I'm being heavy. Like, but we can be better. Mm-hmm. We can be better. Yeah. I've talked about this before. Is <clears throat> fastest growing church in the world right now is on Iran. And these people grew up being Muslims. It's all they knew. If you know about anything about Islam, there's no chance of getting out of Islam. You get completely disowned. I mean, there's chance, but it's extremely hard. Um, God is revealing himself. Jesus himself is revealing himself. There are hundreds of testimonies of people who have had dreams in the middle of the night about the man in white. There's one story about a man. I'm going to cry. One story about a man who's running and running and running, and there's a man in white running behind him. And he's just sprinting. He's terrified. He's like, oh, my gosh. And he, like, comes to this brick wall. There's nowhere he can go. And the man in white just keeps running. And he finally turns around. He doesn't know what to do. And the man in white gently comes up and hugs him. And goes, now are you going to live for me? The man woke up the next morning. He ran into somebody in town who was a Christian who was given a prophetic word about him specifically. And the guy gave him a Bible and told him, read a verse, follow it. And then the next day, do the same thing. And now that's how the revival is breaking out. Because people are taking the word. They understand that this is real. So they take the word. They read one thing. 
they read one part of it and they go, I'm going to follow that. Man, we sit in hour long <laughs> studies and we don't follow it. I'm including myself. So like, I'm go- I kind of went on a tangent, but like, this is super serious. Jesus is hot with this church. He is angry with this church. And prophetically, we fall in line with this church right now. Like, and even personally, I know there's people that can identify with this. And so I'm not trying to scare you into it, but I also want you to have a healthy fear of the Lord that one day you will answer for your life. You will have to give account for everything you've done or said or not done. Mm -hmm. And like, that's been something the Lord's been speaking to me about a lot of things in my life. And he's like, I just hear it in my head. One day you'll have to stand before me. And I think about that and I go, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> or I, I don't, why am I scared of this? Am I going to tell Jesus at the end of times? I'm sorry. I was scared to talk to the lady at Home Depot because well, just, just so many people around and I didn't want to hold up the line. And Jesus is like, <laughs> but <laughs> like, you were made for so much more. You're so much stronger than this. Lexi, did you have a question? Um, actually, it that funny that you brought up that dream mm-hmm. that um, my hairstylist had. First time I met her, she had a. She was telling us about how she had a dream where um, a man was telling her that she had like. Well, she was said that. Well, God was telling her that she had to go find this white dress. Mm-hmm. She had to go find her white dress. Mm-hmm. And, like, not a wedding dress. Like, sure. had to go find her, her Had to go find her white dress. And, I, I don't know, that just... Interesting. Just... Connected. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> know words. Oh, you're good. No, you're totally good. I don't know, that just like... I like it. Yeah, it can connect. People have dreams all the time. Some of them are real bad. <laughs> Some of them are real good, you know? And all right. just stuff like that I've seen, like, he wants to honor people. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's like, you're made clean. Like, yeah. go get your white dress. Yep. All right, verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We've all heard this verse at some point in time. We've all been in an altar call where somebody used this. <laughs> you know, um, the idea is that the the door that he's knocking at, that Jesus is knocking at, has no handle on the outside. It's only able to be opened from the inside. There's a beautiful painting. I can't remember who did it, but there's a beautiful painting of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, and there's no handle on the door. Um, it's interesting too that Jesus it says that he wants to come into him and dine with him Jesus wants to stop with his people um, dining is like a big deal for Jesus apparently after he goes up to heaven after he dies and resurrects every time he comes back they're eating <laughs> nice uh, but this goes back to what Monica brought up earlier about like you know a loving relationship with God is like he wants to know you that is the biggest thing about dining is supper. The word for dine in the original language refers to um, the most important meal of the day. And that meal is not to be taken like fast. It's like you just finished work, you come home, and you're catching up with the fam. 
So it's intended for you to sit down and suck, discuss, hang, build, saw, saw, building intimacy. It's a big part. Uh, so it, it's just it, it's cool, and I think it's just cool that Jesus is still standing at the door and knocking, despite all the stuff he pretty much roasted them for. It's a big deal, like. Even at this point, um, I'll go to the next verse real quick because the point I'm about to make needs it. Uh, Verse 21, um, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus, like you've heard me get harsh, but I'm about to get squishy again. Like these, these people arguably were the worst of all the churches. Arguably the worst of all the seven churches. They were the most in sin, the most blind to their conditions. They didn't even they weren't even thinking about God in the right way. Yet Jesus roasts them, but still stands at the door and knocks and still offers them a promise. And it's not just this like, all right, well, you know, you messed up a couple times, like, so you know, your promise has gone from here to, you know, now you're going to stand outside the gates and you're going to hang out there when you get to heaven. That's not what he does. He says that you will sit with me on my throne. Whoa! If that doesn't get you excited, you're going to sit on Jesus's throne. Not your throne. You did nothing to earn that. He did everything. And he still says, come sit on my throne. It's also interesting. How big is his throne? Or is the better question is the better question how big is his lap? Okay. I've heard that thought about. But we sit on his lap. Um, his lap is big enough to like hold the earth. So like. <laughs> so it's just God is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. He's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, Amen. seventy times seven chances. He never gives up on people. But he's not going to force himself on you. He will stand at the door and knock. But you have to let him in. Uh, There's a church in Germany that has this cool inscription on it. I thought I'd read. It's pretty fun. I heard this from Chuck Missler. Of course. It says, Thus speaketh Christ our Lord to us. You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and you see me not. You call me way, and you walk me not. You call me life, and you choose me not. You call me wise, and follow me not. You call me fair, and you love me not. You call me rich, and you ask me not. You call me eternal, and you seek me not. You call me noble, yet you serve me not. You call me gracious, and you trust me not. You call me might, but you honor me not. You call me just, but you fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. Hmm. Super heavy. Super heavy. So I think just to sum it all up, this church is apostate. They're falling completely away and they don't even know it. How many churches do we know of today that are huge, huge churches, got productions, lights, dramas, all that stuff, but there's absolutely no life. Yeah. I'm not an anti-big church person. I like big church. It can be done really well. Um, But how many churches are completely void of life? 
How many of us at some point in time have thought, man, I'm doing well in life right now. I must be doing good with God. (laughs) I know I have, (laughs) you know, and that's not necessarily the indicator. Yeah. Uh, So uh, we talked about the levels of application local. We've already gone through that. Uh, uh, It is admonitory. It applies to all of these churches. Um, just as a review, Ephesus was a church that uh, was full of uh, needed devotion, not just doctrine. Smyrna, the, that church was told to endure persecution. Pergamus was told to stand strong against the world. Thyatira was told to abandon pagan practices. Sardis was told to be watchful and diligent. Philadelphia was told to be missionaries and outreach. And Laodicea was the prosperous compromise. Um, Go back and listen to these teachings. Like seriously, there's a lot of life in them, and um, it's a big deal. Um, there's personal applications, but I think you all have heard them. Um, there's one thing I, I wanted to go into, but it's it's too long. It, it's fun. It's interesting. There's an idea that um, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus uh, gives the parables of the kingdom, you know, he, and he ends up sharing seven parables. Um, Anytime you see that seven, just you know, pay attention. Holy Spirit likes to leave his marks all over the Bible. So there are seven letters or seven um, parables that Jesus tells, and in those parables, he explains that the parables are about this unseen mystery that nobody had ever heard of, and like you know, to, it's given to you so that you would understand talking to his disciples, but to everyone else, it's given so that they would be totally confused when they hear it. So he's basically telling them because you have the Holy Spirit, like. You can understand this. Everyone else won't understand it. So he gives these parables and go through the parables. Read them for yourself. Super interesting. The idea is that each of those parables can match up with one of the churches. Like Jesus was telling the same story back in the parables. Matthew chapter 13. Look it up. Uh, The other part is Paul wrote 13 letters. Uh, Three of them were to pastors. Um, and then three more of them were duplicates. Well, it's like First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians. Um, so, in all, he wrote seven letters to seven churches. And it's also you can probably draw a comparison with those seven churches and the seven churches in Revelation. Super interesting. Probably just like a fun nerdy thing. Like if you just are reading the Bible, it's just fun. Fun fact to know, and it's confirmed with three. (laughs) It's just fun. Um, But I thought that was really interesting. Um, I'm pretty much done with all my notes. The only thing... Do you have anything you want to add? Okay, going off the notes, YOLO. The only thing I was going to add, and I'm probably not going to spend a ton of time on this, but just to belabor the point about like this being not a game anymore mm-hmm. like I've been doing a ton of study of Revelation I am by no means a, a <laughs> prophetic guru or anything like that like I'm still learning a ton of stuff but I can tell you right now there are things happening in the world that is like it's kind of nerve wracking because I from what I'm reading and what I'm learning about like prophetic stuff Jesus is very near I know people have been saying that for 2,000 years. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is super, super near. Um, I've been learning a lot about, like, um, it goes with this church because the passivity of the church is, like, the worst thing. And they're, like, they they just, they aren't uh, passionate for the Lord. Um, 
I started reading a book about Islam, and there was a bunch of stats. I told Matt about them this morning. A bunch of statistics. Um, Islam is one of the fastest growing religions in the world. It's growing by in America. It's growing by like eight percent every year. Pretty nuts. Um, out of that eight percent, there's eighty percent of the converts are Christians. Man, that's pretty young. Isn't that nuts? Eighty percent of that eight percent are Christians converting from Christianity to Islam. If you read some of the like testimonies, some of them are like um, stating like a guy said, you know, I wanted to believe in a God who didn't have to send his son to do his dirty work. And to him, Islam offers that. Um, there's another woman who basically said, like, well, you know, I just. I felt so bad that Jesus had to die for my sins, or so they said. And I, I don't think he needs to die for my sins, or needed to die for my sins. I need to take care of my sins. Islam offers you real easy ways to get out of sin, sinning. Um, the religion of Islam is demonic. Yeah. It's completely demonic. Uh, the people are not demonic. Let me get that. Yeah, yeah. We, we do yeah. not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities um, and spirits. And so, like, when we see, uh, like, any Muslim person, your heart better be jumping out of your chest because God loves them. He wouldn't be revealing himself to all those people in Iran and all over the Middle East about, like, himself. But it is a serious thing that Islam is growing so fast. And another thing that I was just reading today that I felt was pertinent to share is, like, um, Turkey right now, where all these churches were located. Thank you, Gary. Answering that question correctly earlier, Turkey is making a lot of interesting moves in the geopolitical landscape, and um, one of the things that they're attempting to do, uh, well, the Hagia Sophia is like one of the largest churches in the world, or was one of the largest churches in the world at one time. It was closed down for like 80 years, and just the other day, it was reopened by President Erdogan of Turkey as a mosque, and. Um, Go look up stuff that, like, the pastor of the Islam thing walked up the stairs with a sword in his hand, and supposedly that's symbolic of, like, the conquest of, like, Islam, of, like, the jihad. And so there's just a lot of stuff moving in the Middle East right now. Um, and I say that not to scare you, not at all, because, like, if anything, if Jesus is coming, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> I ain't got rent next week. Let's go. <laughs> I'm living rent free, baby. <laughs> I'm paying for it. Yeah, they can turn it off for the It doesn't matter. All that being said, like this is not a game anymore. The passivity of the church has allowed way too many things in the past. Passivity of the church can arguably be one of the reasons that the Holocaust occurred. Yeah. Yes. 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 Passivity of the church. church. Is the reason why there's eighty percent of Christians in terms of Exactly. And you know what's happening now is like God loves His people Israel, but there is moves happening in the Middle East where people are moving against that country and wanting to do nothing but destroy that country. And Jews, I can't even tell you. They are the most hated people group on the earth for no reason. Exactly. <laughs> for no reason other than it's a good reason. They're God's chosen people. Yeah. And the whole world is against them because Satan runs the world. Exactly. Um, so yeah. all that being said, um, let we can only take responsibility for our own lives and our own church. We can't speak on behalf of all the churches. I wish we could. It'd be nice. But we can only take responsibility for our church. 
we have got to be aware of these things so that we're not numb or just, um, what do you call it, apathetic, um, ignorant of what's going on and get caught with our pants down, if you will. Um, And we need to be there for our brothers and sisters who are Jews. And Islam, the fastest growing religion in the world, does not care for Christians or Jews. Christians at least get a chance at the end of Islam if the Islam ends up working. They believe that Christians can either choose to become Muslims or die. Jews get no chance. They just die. So I say all that. I am finishing. This is not a game anymore. Christianity is no more a game. If you're in this church, you're not here because you just want to glide through. We are here in this church because we believe we've got the answer. We are here in this church because we know, we know that God is alive, that God is going to move, and that we carry it inside of us. And so um, I was going to say, like, we just need to take some time and think about, like, how we've been lukewarm. But I feel like a lot of that was already done earlier, which is, like, awesome that that happened. Um, But I do want to encourage you guys. And I'm saying this because I recently, in the past, like, two weeks, I've had some things where I've had to face in my life that I've been, you know, ignorant of my spiritual condition. And it has not been fun. But there is freedom. There is freedom. And, you know, like, I I wanted to disqualify myself from teaching tonight, but God qualifies me because we all struggle. You know, we all have issues. And if, you know, we aren't honest and open about it, then we're just like the Church of Laodicea. Interesting that I had to teach this one. (laughs) So fun how God is. But seriously, like, there's so much freedom. And so I want to, I do want to just offer a moment. We won't make it like this big altar call thing or anything like that. But if if, if you had something in your mind come up, like, during the teaching that you were like, holy crap, I've been passive about this. Or I've been lukewarm in this area. Or, like, there's sin in my life that is like... Uh, Jews always call it leaven in the bread. Mm-hmm. If there's leaven in your bread, if there's sin in your life that you've not confessed, you don't have to tell the whole group. I know that's scary. I encourage you to talk to one person. And I know, I know it's going inside your head because I just had to do this two weeks ago, <laughs> and it wasn't fun. But like, get it out. Talk about it. Tell one person. And I promise you there will be freedom. And that is the, the opening of the door into the church for Jesus. That is allowing him to come in and inviting him to dine and sup with you. Something that he has been longing to do. So um, we're done. I'm going to pray. If you have that, go talk to somebody. If not, I love y'all guys. Y'all are awesome. And I love this church. I wouldn't want to be part of any other church. Do you have anything else you want to say? I was just going to say, sometimes, if, especially if you're feeling numb towards things, sometimes it takes time, like, for the Lord to reveal that, but He will. Like, don't give up if you're like, no, I'm good. Like, seriously, spend time with Jesus. Go to the secret place and ask Him, like, we want the salve on our eyes so that we can actually see. We want what He sees, not like, well, I'm kind of annoyed at myself for this and this and this. Like, Lord, what do you see in my life that you want me to change? What's one thing? Yep. So you don't bombard yourself and hurt yourself with yeah. I'm gonna nitpick everything. Like, let the word yeah. lead you. Yep. And there's no sin you could have committed that would make you worse than the devil. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Alright, I'm okay. Dad, we just thank you so much for who you are. 
Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for this whole entire series. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would put it on every person's heart to go back and read or go back and listen to stuff on this. I'm not just saying it because, you know, I have. I'm just saying it because I know it's good and I know that you're speaking things through it. Um, I pray for each person that their eyes and ears would be opened to the truth and their heart would be open to you. Holy Spirit, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving right now and speaking to people and even on the car ride home, speaking to people and bringing things up, not in shame and condemnation, but you just speaking to them so gently. I only discipline you because I love you and I want the best for you. And I want you walking totally free because you're going to have a way better life this way. Um, There is no condemnation in Christ. There is no shame, no guilt. There is love and mercy, and there is no steps back in the kingdom. He sets you right back up, and to he who overcomes gets to sit right back in the highest place of honor that anyone could ever ask for. So we just thank you, God. Thank you for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'd love to keep in touch with you. Be blessed today, family.